we're in a new series. We're starting. I'm very excited about this series because it's a five-week series, and I'm going to have help in this series, so you're going to get to hear more than one voice um, of truth, and I'm very excited about that. We're calling it Struggles, uh, hashtag Struggles JNC, following Jesus in a selfie-centered world. And some of you know exactly what that means when you see it, and some of you are like, why do you have a pound sign in front of it? What does that mean? Um, it's, a, it's a social media thing. It's called a hashtag. It looks like a pound sign. And what it is, it's a tool of social media. Some of you are like, yeah, we know, but not everybody does. I still see the flip phones, okay? So here's what it does. You're on Twitter or you're on Instagram and you want to track something. You want to follow with something. You know something's happening and you want to see what's being said about it or what's being, you know. And so you do hashtag that. Now some people look at important things. Like they want to see, for instance, um, I just saw this yesterday. You want to see the State of the Union address thing. You do hashtag SOTU, State of the Union. And you'll see everything that people have said about it. Good, bad, ugly, indifferent, whatever. That's what some people do. I do far more important things. Like hashtag Road King. And I can see all the Harley Davidson Road King pictures. It's amazing. I love it. Or hashtag VW Bug. Oh my goodness. My first car was a VW Bug. And this is the scary thing. Social media is big. Here's how scary and big social media is. My first car was a 1966 Volkswagen Beetle. It was blue. I love them to this day. I've had eight of them, okay? But that was my first car. Here's what's scary. If I go to, to Instagram or, or, or Twitter or Pinterest, doesn't matter, and I type in um, hashtag VWBug, more than half of the pictures will be of old Volkswagen Beetles, the color of my first one. That's scary to me, but it's still cool, so I do it because I like seeing the pictures. But what you can do is you can follow things. So if you went, for instance, and, and did hashtag struggles JNC, it would probably, if you did it on Instagram, it would probably take you to Journey Norris Instagram feed. And if you don't follow us, then you should, because we'll start putting more stuff up there, and you'll see announcements and whatever, whatever up there, and, and some pictures of stuff. Um, but anyhow, I know some of you are thinking, don't do the social media thing, so this isn't about me. Okay? Social media has a lot of advantages. A lot of great things happen. You can connect with people that you haven't seen in a long time. That's a great thing. There's a lot of good things that can happen, but there's also a lot of downsides. So if you're thinking that you're safe here because you don't use social media, sorry, this message is going to still speak to you. What we're going to do is for five weeks, we're going to look at things that people struggle with. And my guess is you'll find one or more of these things that you do or have struggled with. And what happens with social media is that it amplifies it. It makes it more of a big deal. So the first one today that we're looking at, a um, very big deal for many people, it's contentment. It's about being content. And one of the reasons we're not content is because we compare ourselves to other people. And so when you compare yourself to somebody else, the more you compare yourself, the less satisfied you are. Because you'll be seeing what's happening over there. Some people believe that this is a bigger problem now than it ever has been in history. This whole problem of contentment. And think about it. Never before, especially in our country, never before have so many had so much and yet wanted so much more. It's just, it's rampant. 
And many will blame social media for that because the trouble with social media is people's lives come across perfect. You see their posts, you see their pictures, you hear what they say, and, and I look at it, and, and what I have to remind myself is I am comparing my bloopers and my outtakes with their highlight reel. Their life is not like that all the time, okay? We see the best of their best, and inside, we know the worst of our worst. And so the comparison leaves us discontent. I actually see this happening on a regular basis. I'll know two people, and this one is looking at this one's social media stuff. Oh, look at that life. Look at what they have. Look at what they're able to do. Look at where they're able to go. Look at what they see. And the other one is looking at that one's social media feed and saying, oh, I wish I had a life like theirs. Look at what they do. Because they forget that that's only the tip of the iceberg. And you have two people actually comparing and longing for what somebody else has, the other person has. See, we, we think that we can more accurately measure our popularity now and, and kind of where we stand because of social media. You know, um, uh, uh, I have, you know, 400 friends, but oh, but he has 900 friends. He's way more popular than me, you know? Or every time I post something, two people like it. The same two because they feel bad for me. This person has 9,000 people like their post. My life must suck. We think that that allows us to measure our popularity. They did a survey some research, they actually at two separate universities. And at these two separate universities, they looked at people before, and then they, looked, they had them go 30 minutes on Facebook. And then they measured after the 30 minutes. They studied their feelings after the 30 minutes on Facebook. More than a third felt significantly worse after spending half hour on Facebook. And you know what the predominant source of those bad emotions were? Envy. They saw things that they wanted, and it left them discontent and left them sadder. So what we're going to do, we're going to do a little exercise here, and you might not like it, but I don't care. <laughs> you, you need this because you can't manage what you can't measure. So we have to know where, where we're missing out, okay? So I want us today, I don't want you living lives of discontent. I want you to be content. And so we want to expose any discontentment. Now, don't worry, I'm not, I'm not like trying to have you expose yours in front of everybody. That's not what we're doing. But I am going to ask, I'm going to ask you to very, very seriously consider, I'm going to look at just three areas. And as I, as I talk about those three years, I want you to think, have I or do I even a little bit struggle with that? Is that an issue for me maybe that I even wouldn't tell anybody else? The first kind of discontentment is material and financial discontentment. It's about stuff. Material and financial discontentment. You see somebody's car and what you're thinking is their car is way nicer than mine. And you forget that if you have a car, you're like in the top 3% of the world. Or we say their house is way better than mine. And you forget if you have a house of any kind where you're staying. You are at the top because so many people don't have that. And we forget that, but that leads to discontent. You know, we see their vacation. They got to go here. I don't even get to do this, you know? Here's what would characterize, here's what, what question, what, what thought would come into your head. If this was an issue for you, here's what would come into your head a lot. I wish I had that. 
You'll see something, and you, you know, I might not even tell anybody, but I wish I had that. So I'm going to ask you to be bold. If you have or in any way struggle a little bit with material and financial discontent, can I see your hands? Put your hands. Okay? A lot. Good. Here's a second kind of discontentment. Relational discontentment. That's where um, you see something, I mean, even on social media, you see, a, you see a picture and all these friends are together and they're somewhere and they're having a good time and you look at the picture and you realize, those are my friends. <laughs> I'm not in that picture. I wasn't invited. And you start to feel discontent. Or, or you look at somebody's life and you say, they have what I want in relationships. They're married. I'm not. I want to be, look what they have. Or, or we're both married, you know, we're married, but look at their relationship. They have real intimacy. It's really good, and I don't have this, and it's, and it's not good. And you struggle because that relational discontentment plays on, it's like on repeat, over and over. How many of you in any way have struggled with a relational kind of discontent? Can I see your hands? Good, quite a few. Here's the last kind today. Circumstantial discontentment. And that's just, that's what's going on in your life. What's going on around you, the things that are happening. And um, in circumstantial discontentment, what we find ourselves saying is, I wish I was where they are. We see what they have. We see what they're going through. And here's the thing. It doesn't matter what point in life you're at. What you end up saying is, at this point in life, wherever it is, I thought I was going to be further. I thought I was going to have more. I thought there was going to be something else happening. This would happen, this would happen, and it's not there for me. And you're seeing all these other people who have that, and you have that circumstantial discontentment. Anybody here ever struggled with that? Okay, good. We're all in the same boat. Here's, you've heard me say this many times, and you'll hear me say it many more times. Life is 10% what happens to you, and 90% how you respond to it. See, the problem is we too often live the opposite of that. We live as if it's 90% what's happening to us and we have so little uh, ability to do anything about it. And we respond poorly to it and we think it's all about what's happening, woe is me. And that's not true. Because stuff happens to everybody, even those perfect people you see on Instagram or Facebook, they have stuff happening in their life too. The Apostle Paul I think the Apostle Paul is like the boss of responding in a Christ-like manner. He went through almost everything. And we're going to look at something he wrote that I believe is possibly the best passage on the Bible on contentment. And you need to remember, this is going to be from Philippians. And you need to remember, Philippians was written from prison. He's chained up in prison. He's in a prison cell in Rome. He's got uh, guards chained to him that, you know, every four, six, eight hours, whatever, they're switching up and he's waiting to either have some verdict or to be executed or he doesn't know what. And that's where he's writing this from. And here's what he says in Philippians 4, 12 and 13. I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. You see, that really was his life. He started off the first half of his life. He had everything. He came from a very good upbringing, a very good background. He had it all. The best education. And his life took an incredible turn when he met Jesus. You ask him, he would say it got incredibly better. It involved shipwrecks and being beaten, being put in prison. But if you ask him, it was way better. He could say, I knew what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to be in plenty. I remember the first time I read this verse. I was in Bible college. 
And in college, I, I grew up in a family who had no money, none whatsoever. Um, and, uh, you know, Christmas was, you know, great Christmas. I got socks this year, you know, big deal. So I went to Bible college, which cost a lot of money. My parents didn't have any money. And so I worked full time and sometimes two jobs. And I'd work all, all year. I wouldn't come home for breaks usually because I stayed there and worked. And then I'd work all summer. And I'd try to find summer jobs where I could make enough money that I didn't go too much in debt going to school. Um, and so I, I painted houses one summer. Um, I worked for this tree place one summer where um, you know, I, I made wood chips. This is what I did all summer. Um, until I got the call from the Ford plant. The Ford plant, now this is in the 70s, okay? Yes, I am that old. I got a call from the Ford plant, and they wanted me for their summer program. And in the summer program at the Ford plant, they have so many people go on vacation, they need people to fill in. And so they hire you for 89 days. You can only work 89 days. Because on the 90th day, you would be in union, and they couldn't fire you. So on the 89th day, bye, Tim. But here's the thing. When I started... It was like, yes, I started a four plan. I instantly was making four times what I had before. I was making twice what my dad made during those summers. And I remember going from, I don't have a nickel to buy a pack of gum, to I got $100 in my pocket. And I read this verse, and here's how I read it. I have been rich, and I have been poor. I prefer rich. <laughs> that's, that's what I said back then. And it's interesting because as the years have passed, I wouldn't say that anymore. Because I've seen what comes. I, I've, know, I've known a lot of people who are rich. And I've seen what comes with that. And it's like, I'm happy. Thank you. Don't need that. But here's what Paul says. He's no, he knew both of those things. I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. And he says, I have learned the secret of being content. That's huge. The secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. And here's the secret. Verse 13. I can do all this through Christ who gives me strength. So regardless of whether he was up on the high road, you know, with, with the, the money and the prestige and the power, or whether he was in prison, it didn't matter. He said, I can be content because I can do this through Christ who gives me strength. See, here's the thing. You will always battle contentment until you let Christ be all you need. And here's what happens for many. Many of us, are, are we don't learn fast. You know, God whispers to some people, he hits some of us with two-by-fours, okay? Sometimes, until Christ is all you have, you won't know that he's all you need. Because you have just enough of this other stuff to not think you need him. And sometimes when everything else gets taken away, you realize he's really all I needed. But that, that's where the contentment can begin. Because Jesus is your rock. Jesus is your redeemer. Jesus is your restorer. Jesus is your renewer, your rescuer. He is your rest. Not all the stuff that you're looking for to find that contentment. Because until you experience the goodness of Christ, you will always be dissatisfied. You'll always be looking for more. You'll always be longing for something more because inside everybody is a Jesus-shaped vacuum. See, everybody recognizes there's a vacuum. 
They just don't recognize it's Jesus-shaped, and they try to fill it with everything else, and they're continually dissatisfied. It's like, it's the, it's the if-then. If I had this, then I would be happy. If I had this, then I would be happy. And here's what happens. You get it, and then you're happy for like 2.4 seconds because you're looking for the next thing. Because we forget that as followers of Jesus, he is all we need. His strength is all we need. You see, God planted eternity in our hearts. And there's a longing in you for something more than this world has to offer. And if all you're trying to do is fill that void with what this world has to offer, you'll never learn what it is to live a life of contentment. You'll always be dissatisfied. Envy will rule in your heart and you will battle the enemy of discontentment. Paul knew the secret of contentment. In any and every situation, in plenty or in prison, whatever, it didn't matter. The secret is through Christ. It's through Jesus who gives me strength to do everything he calls me to do. That's the secret. So today, here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about two things. Two things that are absolutely, completely need the strength of Jesus to do in order to overcome the sin of envy. In order to live lives of contentment, we need these two things, but we can only do these through the strength of Christ. So here's the first one. Through Christ's strength, here's what we will do. We will kill comparisons. Because comparing is where we get ourselves in trouble. If you look, you can always see somebody who has something more than you and something better than you and, and a life that's different than yours that you want and you'll compare that and, and it will never end well. Here's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians ten twelve: We do not dare. He said, this is something we're not even going to get close to. We do not even dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. He's talking about people who, if this doesn't describe social media, people who go around tooting their own horn, you know? You see their picture, and I see the pictures, I look at them, I never comment because I look at the picture and say, that ain't you. You're trying to make me think it's you, but I know what you really look like. (laughs) That's not you. You know, if you went missing and they put that picture on a milk carton, you're going to be missing forever. (laughs) Because nobody's looking for the real you if that's what you put on there. So there's, there's the, those people who commend themselves. And he said, we dare not compare ourselves with some who commend themselves when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves. They are not wise. You see, what happens is in every person's group, whether consciously or subconsciously, we are comparing ourselves with the other people in our sphere of influence. And no matter how bad things are, you look at somebody else and say, I'm better than that because we're comparing ourselves with them. And he said, when you do that, you are not wise. See, we have all had those times. We have all had those things where we've compared and it's left us feeling discontent. Some of those things, I've been able to do what God says and, 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 and thank God I've been able to get by some of those. But I can look back and I can see a number of those times where that started to creep up. I told you, my first car, blue 1966 Volkswagen Beetle. I loved that car. You know what? Everybody loved that car. It was cool. Everybody wanted to ride in my car. 
which was no big deal for me because I had a good seat. The back seat didn't hold too much, but I had a good seat and it got like a million miles a gallon. It cost five bucks to fill up the gas tank. It was just, I could do this all day. Until my friend Jackie Bird, one street over, got his first car. A 67 Mustang Fastback. (laughs) Guess who wanted to ride in Tim's car? (laughs) Nobody. For a short time, it's like, I I even want to ride in his car. (laughs) But you know what? I got over it fairly quick. Because I realized that I had a car, and to this day, of all the cars I've had, it's still my favorite. And and I didn't need to compare myself with anybody else in my sphere of influence. I would never be able to afford what Jackie could afford. His parents had money. Mine didn't. I had this Volkswagen, and I needed to learn to be happy with it. And there are many times where things happen in our life, and it starts small, but we start comparing. And all of a sudden, the discontentment rises. The contentment goes down. We start envying, and it crashes and spills over into other areas of life. So we need to kill comparisons. Why is this important? Here's how dangerous it is to live a life where you're comparing yourself to others. James, the brother of Jesus, was not a follower early on, became a follower of Jesus, amazing leader in the church, wrote the book of James. Here's what he says. Verse 14, starting in verse 14 of chapter 3. But if you harbor bitter envy, that's your wanting what someone else has. If you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, he sa- I love how he says this. Do not boast about it or deny the truth. You realize that's like sarcasm. Obviously, you wouldn't brag about that. I'm really envious of people. You wouldn't do that. And he says, don't be boasting about that or denying the truth. And I love what he does in this next verse, in, in, in verse 15. Such wisdom, and you see the quotes there? Literally, those are there. And it's like air quotes. It's not wisdom when you live a life of selfish envy. He says such wisdom, and that's how he would say it, such wisdom does not come from heaven. But here's what that is. If you live a life where you envy other people for things, he says it is what? What's the first thing on the bottom there? It's earthly. What's the next thing? Unspiritual. Scary. What's the last one? Demonic. When we live lives where we compare ourselves with others and envy what they have, he says that is demonic. That does not come from God. We need to kill comparisons because they're demonic. You realize it's one of the top ten in the Ten Commandments. Don't covet. Don't let your life and your heart pull that direction. So I don't know how this might play out for you if you need to kill comparisons, because I don't know what you struggle with. I don't know where you struggle with things. I don't know what would help you. There's a lot of different ways that you could begin to kill comparisons. Maybe, for instance, maybe some of you need to take a social media break because you're checking way too much and you see what it does to you. Maybe, maybe it's not that you need to get off it. Maybe you just need to hide the feed of certain people. Because you see their feed and it triggers something. And you start Indian. They have a better relationship. They have better stuff. They look this. They do that, you know. And, and, and you can just hide. That's one of the many advantages of social media. You can hide the feed of somebody and they never know it. Pretty hard to do in real life. They come up to you and you say, nope, nope. 
don't see you, you can't see me, I'm hiding from you. It's a little more awkward in real life, but you can do it. That's how my grandkids do it. <laughs> you can't see me. It's like, yeah, we can see you. But on social media, you can hide their feed because you know what it does to you. You see it and your blood pressure goes up a little bit, the envy goes up a little bit, whatever, and the comparisons start. You want to kill the comparisons? Just hide that feed. Maybe for some of you, you're flipping through certain kind of magazines, certain, seeing certain things that you just can't live without. Stop ordering the magazines. Maybe it's the, the shopping app on your phone. You know, delete it. You're seeing things you just can't live without. Delete that. I know for some of you, you're not going to like this. For some of you, not all of you, some of you, you need to stop watching HGTV. Because you're seeing all these projects that take three minutes, that really take three days or three months, and it's not going to turn out like that, but you see it and it's like, oh, I wish I had that. And we need to, we need to figure out how to do that. Here's, what, here's one of the things it was for us. When Julie and I got married, we both had jobs, real jobs, and, and we, we were making good money, um, and we bought a motorhome. Older motorhome, but we bought a motorhome because my in-laws had one, and we did all these amazing motorhome trips. Had a blast. But we bought this motorhome, and here's what we would do: since it was an older motorhome, we would go to the motorhome show in Minneapolis or St. Paul, wherever it was. They moved it around. We would go to this show, and it wasn't because we wanted another motorhome; it was because we loved what we had. But we could go and we could see the new ones, and we could see what they had and what they changed. It's like we can do that in ours. So that's what we did. And not, nothing wrong with that. I mean, there may be, but I didn't think there was. But here's what happened. As we did that for years, the newer ones looked cooler and cooler each year. Ours got older and older each year. And pretty soon you're going to a motorhome show and you're looking at a motorhome that's pretty sweet and yours is 30 years old. And, and I realized this is not good because now what I'm doing is I'm looking, it's like, oh, I would really like that. And the intelligent side of me would say, step back, Tim. That costs more than your first two houses. You use it two weeks a year, you probably don't need that. And it was an issue, and we stopped going. We didn't need to see that anymore. Now I get the magazine, and I read the magazines, and I see that. But that's, I'm getting better, okay? It's getting better. For some of you, maybe it's stop going to the motorhome show, stop going to the car show, stop going to the hunting show, stop going. Maybe, maybe just take a hiatus from that because you know that when you see it, the envy is going to creep up and you're not going to be, excuse me, you're not going to be content because all of a sudden what you have is not as good as what other people have. So we are going to kill comparisons because it's demonic. It is bad for our life. Here's a great way that I have found to kill comparisons in my life and to purify the intentions of my heart. And I do this on a regular basis, okay? Celebrate others' blessings. When I see someone blessed, especially if it's in a way that I would like to be blessed, here's what I do. I celebrate their blessing. I don't say, oh, I'm the one that should have that. I don't do that. I don't say, they don't deserve that. I don't do that. I say, look at how God has blessed them. That's a great thing. And I celebrate with them. And that has had a way of purifying my heart. Because here's what I found. For me, I found that when I can't celebrate with others for for what's happened in their life, I kind of think I'm actually limiting what God wants to do in my life. I really do. 
because I, I'm not grateful for what he's done for me. Here's what would happen. I got to the point where I heard God say, I, I'm a pastor, okay? And um, there have been times in my past when I have looked at other churches and little bit of envy there. Really nice building, or they had a whole lot of money and they could do what they needed to do, and they had this and they had that staff and they had this. And it would be easy sometimes for, for my mind to lean toward that envy. And when I started years ago saying, you know what, I am going to celebrate others' blessings and I'm going to pray that God blesses them. And for decades, I have prayed in Pine City for every church that preaches the gospel, and here's my prayer, that they would triple in size, that they would reach people who need Jesus, and that they would grow and see people come into the kingdom and expand, and good things would happen. And, and early on, here's what God did, because God does things like this. As I pray for all these other churches, God said to me, kind of a whisper, would you be happy if I did bless them? It's like, I was praying that you would, but I was kind of thinking you probably weren't gonna. And I had to come to grips with the fact that early on, I didn't always think that. And I had to get to the point where I said, yes, that's what I'm praying for. That's what I want to see happen. And I would be happy if you did that. See, being upset that God is blessing someone else might be why God is not blessing you. So what we're going to do is we're going to kill comparisons. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing. Through Christ's strength, we will cultivate gratitude. Gratitude. It's the most powerful and healthy emotion there is. Gratitude. I have heard envy that we're talking about today described this way. Envy is resenting God's goodness in other people's lives and ignoring God's goodness in my own life. You catch that? Envy is resenting God's goodness in other people's lives and ignoring his goodness in my own life. That's pretty powerful. So we're going to cultivate gratitude because we need to do that. It's all throughout the Bible. Proverbs 15 says it like this. For the despondent, and a despondent in someone, you know, despondent is like Eeyore, you know. Um, Debbie Downer, you know. I, I did it again. I, I got to come up with something else because in the first service, there's like three people named Debbie. And it's like, I'm not talking about you. It's just an f- expression. You know the person who, for the despondent, it says, every day brings trouble. How do you know somebody like that? That's how they live. Every day brings trouble. Some of you, when I said, how many of you know someone like that? You're thinking somebody close to you. Don't look at them. How many of you know that that's you? That you're always looking at the bad side of things. You're always saying, yeah, this is going to happen, you know. And, and what happens? Every day brings trouble. You see, the flip side of that, he says, for the happy heart, which is the opposite of the despondent, the happy heart, life is a continual feast. You understand, in those two examples, the circumstances have not changed. The one who has the day that brings trouble and the one who has the life as a continual feast, the circumstances of their life have not changed. What has changed is their attitude. Their heart has changed. We just did a whole series on how important what you think is. 
And this is huge because he says a happy heart is always ready to see the goodness of God. That's what a happy heart does. A happy heart sees the blessings in it. Because if you look for bad, guess what? You'll find it everywhere. But if you want to see God working, regardless of your circumstance, you know what? You'll find it. It all depends on what you're looking for. The only thing that's changed is your perspective. An attitude of gratitude is the most physically, emotionally, and spiritually healthy attitude that you can have. It will literally make you healthier by living a life of gratitude. That's what they've discovered. Solomon, richest man of his time, son of David, richest man of his time, went through a lot to learn what he learned. But richest man of his time, in fact, I saw some calculations that given inflation and given the price of this and that, he may have been the richest man of all time. And he, he spent much time looking for that to satisfy him. He also, like anybody who has a lot, thought more is better. I have a lot, but more is better. Here's what he writes in Ecclesiastes 6.9. Enjoy what you have. Enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't have. Because what he discovered is that's the path to contentment. It's not desiring what you don't have. It's enjoying what you have. So we talked earlier about your car. I don't know what kind of car you have. You say, I'm tired of my car. It never starts. Mine has more miles than yours. Mine doesn't start all the time either. But you know what? I have a car. And I can rejoice with and enjoy what I have instead of always wanting and longing for what I don't have. Same thing with house. you got a house. My house is too small. My house is this. My house is that. You know why you're saying that? Because you're comparing it to somebody else. And instead we say, I have a house. Praise the Lord. You don't like your job. A lot of people don't like their job. you got a job. You can always find something to be grateful for. I've had people complain about this church. Hard as that is to believe. I've had people complain about this church. This church is too big. Music's too loud. Too many young people here. Not loud enough, enough, yeah. What? (laughs) When we started this church 13 years ago, here's what we said. We are going to build a church to reach people who need Jesus and we're going to target people in their 20s, 30s, and 40s. Or people in their 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s who want to reach people in their 20s, 30s, and 40s who have a family. Why? Because if there's a bunch of old people here, you can put on a calendar when the church ends. And there's way too many people who need Jesus. So are we getting bigger? Yes. Is our numbers going up? Yes. But you know why they're going up? Because people are finding hope. Last week, four people, first-time decision for Jesus. Is that not incredible? Here's the thing. I know churches who have gone 20 years and not had four people come to Jesus. God is blessing this place. And are we going to keep growing? Yes. You know why? Here's when we'll stop growing. When every single person within our reach and sphere of influence is a follower of Jesus. Then we'll stop growing. Until that time, we're going to grow because people need Jesus. 
You can look at that in so many different ways. And you can look at it as, I don't like this, you know, this, this. Or you can see the goodness of God in it and realize you're part of a wave that God is doing amazing things. See, when my life is good, I thank God for his blessings. When my life is not what I would want it to be, I thank God for his goodness. I thank him that he's working in all things, in all circumstances, in all situations, to bring about good to those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. It doesn't matter. That's what he's doing. So we will kill comparisons. Because it's earthly, it's unspiritual, it's demonic. We're not doing that. We'll celebrate the blessings of others. We'll rejoice with those who rejoice. We'll cultivate gratitude in our lives. Working and worshiping, working for and worshiping our God because he's worthy of our praise. Because we've learned the secret of being content. Whether living in plenty or in want, the secret is... I can do all things through Christ, through Jesus, through the Son of God who gives me strength. And because he is all I need, I will pursue him with all my heart. In him I'll find true joy, I'll find true contentment because he is life. He is fully and faithfully satisfying. It says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. I can do all this only through Christ who gives me strength. So there are some of you here, you know what it is to know Jesus. For you, it's not about religion or rules or rituals or regulations. It's not about church. It's about a relationship with Jesus. And you've met Jesus. You've turned your life over to him. You realized you were a sinner and that he died on a cross to forgive your sin. And you accepted that. And you turned to Jesus And through Jesus, these things are beginning to change in your life because he's working on you from the inside out. And you realize that as I have a constantly deepening relationship with him, I'm going to envy less. I'm going to compare less. I'm not going to have to worry about that because he is all I need. But there are some of you here who you haven't met Jesus. For you, it's about church. You go to church. Do you know that I don't go to church? I am the church. Church is people. It's not about religion. I have a lot of people say, I'd go to your church, but I hate religion. You know what I say? Yeah, me too. <laughs> but I love Jesus. He changed my life. And there are some of you, you're still looking at it as religion or rules or rituals or, or I have to do this. And you don't, you've never seen that it's about a relationship with him, a personal, living, vibrant relationship with him where literally you can't do anything to get it. He did it all. All you have to do is recognize that. Jesus, I'm a sinner. I know that. And I know that I can't go to heaven if I'm a sinner because heaven is perfect and you don't let anything in there that's not perfect. But Jesus was perfect. And he said he died on a cross to pay for my sins so that if I believed him and accepted that, I could be a child of God. You could right now where you sit in your heart have your life and your eternity change forever by saying, Jesus, I don't fully understand all this, but you said I don't have to. You said I just have to have faith. And I believe that I'm a little messed up. Believe I'm a sinner. But I believe that Jesus wasn't. And he came for me. He lived for me. He died for me. 
And I'm just going to give as much as I understand of myself to as much as I understand of him right now. If you say that in your heart, if you mean that from your heart, you become a child of God. And he begins that process of changing you from the inside out. You get the same power in you that raised Jesus from the dead. So those things that you have such a struggle with, you now have help. You also now have a family. So if you've never prayed that, I'd like to bow your heads and close your eyes. If you've never prayed that, I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that right now. Because your life could literally change forever. Father, for those who have already stepped across that line from unbelief to belief, I thank you for that. I ask that we would be able to continually deepen our relationship with you knowing that that same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power and the strength we need to be able to live lives without that envy. That we could live lives of gratitude, that we could actually live lives of contentment. Father, I know there's people here who they don't have that relationship with you through Jesus yet. I ask that in simple faith, they would say in their hearts that to you, just from their heart, Jesus, I know that I need you. I don't understand it all, but I believe you and I trust you and I am receiving you as my Savior. I'm turning from my sin and I'm turning to you today and I want you to come into my life and be the Lord of my life. Father, I thank you for those um, who are hearing from you right now and I pray that whatever you are asking of us, that our response to you would be today because we know that today is the day of salvation. Father, thank you for that and we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand for the closing song. See, what you want is you want a treasure that will never run away. You've got to stop looking at things and envying things and searching for things and striving for things that are going to fade. Jesus won't. He will never leave you or forsake you. Here's what he says. He says, keep yourselves from covetousness, Jesus said, for a man's life doesn't consist in the abundance of the things which he possesses. It's not about the stuff. The stuff's not bad unless it's your God. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. My heart's in heaven. My heart's with Jesus. That's where my treasure is. You can have a relationship with him in which he'll never run. He'll never leave you. If you want to come into that relationship you haven't today or you have and you want to let us know about that, you can take a communication card from the back there, fill that out and let us know about it. You can also make your way to that room behind the retreat signs and somebody can meet you there and pray with you. If you need a Bible, um, we have a Bible we can give you there and somebody can pray with you. I don't want you to leave without knowing for sure that Jesus is there to help you. Father, thank you so much for your love for us. I thank you that you will never leave us or forsake us. I pray that whatever you are asking of us today, our response to you would be yes. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.